Um, and we're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to hold the scripture text. We're going to be in Nehemiah, the sixth chapter, but we're going to just kind of read it incrementally as I affirm the three final points that I've been making a part of this series. But let me take a moment of time to just talk to you just about the, the, uh, the impact of preaching and then kind of where we're going to begin here today in just a few minutes. And that is, I really believe in the value of hearing the Word of God. You know, Romans 10 and 17, I've said it to you. If one time, I, I've said it a thousand times, and it is, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If there is a minister that has any measure of an anointing upon his life, then your spiritual ear will receive of the engrafted word. The engrafted word, James says, has the ability to save our souls. It edifies us. It builds us up in our holy faith, the scripture says. It challenges us. The Bible says it's a sharp two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thought and the intent of our hearts. There's nothing like it. I think it, we can at times try to capture the expression of God, of who God is, and of a revelation of who he is through media and things of that nature. The, the Hollywood has finally tried to tap into, uh, you know, trying to make movies uh, on the silver screen to share, you know, uh, certain Christian um, beliefs. But let me tell you, they will never be able to replicate a movie that will effectively move you in your faith at the depth of an anointed word from God. God ordained the preaching of the Word of God. The Bible doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who make movies. It says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? There's an anointing upon it. I didn't design it. I'm just a part of it. Come on. And so God has placed this in the body. And for the latter several weeks, I have shared with you that I have a personal uh, vision of 2015 to help you as an individual discover the fullness of the call of God upon your life, discover the will of God for your life. If you're not, if you're not walking in it, if you are walking in it, to have the confidence that you're walking in it and you're not comparing yourself to other people to determine whether or not there's value in what you do. That would be, that would be wrong in the eyes of God. God that has designed us to be faithful, not to compare uh, across the order of whether or not we are uh, having any merit or success in God's kingdom. You just can be who God's called you to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and when your soul knows that right well, then you'll have a peace and a contentment in Christ. You'll live every day with the expectation that God's going to bless this day. He's going to use you strategically. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to make a difference. You're leaving a, lack, a lasting impression on the lives of men and women. You're not going to take anything out of this world other than the legacy that you leave behind, and that legacy should be to impact people with the love of God that is shown in your heart and the change that's been worked in you, you're hoping to show that change to other people. And so the title of the series has been Discovering and Accomplishing and Maintaining God's Will for Your Life. And I'd like to, before we pray, I'd like to take just a moment to draw your attention to that title again in Nehemiah 6. And we're going to kind of recount those steps very briefly today to arrive at where we need to be in the sixth chapter. But just note this for just a moment of time. Again, the title, Discovering... Let's, let's kind of fragment it for just a moment. Let's divide it up. Discovering, look at this one, the will of God for your life. Accomplishing the will of God and then maintaining the will of God for your life. Now, oftentimes, they, those three are, uh, they overlap. But if you'll look at it closely enough, it's not just enough to know the will of God and leave it undone or dormant. You've got to discover it. Then you've got to gain the courage to start the process to see it accomplished. Right? It's going to take faith and it's going to take courage for you to move out, if you're not in the will of God, to move into the season that you have the confidence that you're in the will of God. That takes courage. It does. Oftentimes, sacrifice. And then, once that process starts, then, then you've got to maintain it. It's a continuation. And I have found in the process of this, as I discover God's will, and I get the, and, and through prayer and circumstance and the burden and the passion, as I begin to accomplish that initial process, and then I see a fulfillment of some measure of it, again, I maintain it. I'm maintaining. I'm walking where God has placed me. But, but I, what I have discovered is I'm maintaining that part of the will of God for my life, that the cycle will often often repeat itself. 
the very same thing, that either within the exact calling that I'm in today, I'm never plateauing. I'm always kind of branching over, starting the process again. God is opening up something new, revealing something. It may still be within the context for me personally it's for, as a pastor. It's my pastoral ministry. For you, it's your life and whatever God's called you in. And I'm not run, I've not yet run the course. But that doesn't mean that what I'm doing today will, will always will be mundane and it won't be, have anything new and there won't be anything that will come into my life that will um, not be engaging because it's all fallen to just methodical process. No, God, uh, along the way, then that process starts over again and then I move into another arena of life, still under the same context, and I'm discovering the will of God for this season. Then I gain the courage to pursue, to pursue it and then God enables us to maintain it. So if you can think that way for just a moment, let me remind you, God is a God of purpose. He's a God of calling. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, the Bible says. And that God's a God of destiny. He has destined you. He's predestined you for great things in the kingdom of God. The Bible says he's called you to be faithful, to fulfill his will. I've already said the psalmist David wrote, fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it right well. Ephesians 2 says that you've been ordained for good works. And before we pray today, let me read a passage of Scripture from the psalmist David. In Psalm 143, two verses of Scripture. Here's his prayer. He said, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Did you hear that? I think that's a prayer that we have to pray in life. God calls me to know the way wherein I should walk. Calls me to know and understand the direction. Affirm to me whether or not I'm in the will of God. And if I'm not in the will of God, let me find that will of God so I can know and begin to pursue it. David added to this in the 10th verse of Psalm 143. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. So why don't we stand up today and let's pray and let's ask God to add his great favor and blessing to the preaching of the word of God. We're going to be in Nehemiah the sixth chapter, but I'm going to just read that. There's about 14 verses of scripture there, I believe, that we're going to glean through today. Uh, I think it is 16 verses, but we're going to read them incrementally. But I want to ask you to not be distracted. We thank God for water baptism in a few moments. We thank God for a dinner fellowship and a business meeting. But at the same time, today we have put great emphasis upon the preaching of the Word of God. Come on, so set your heart today. Look at this as a sacred moment. You'll never get this moment back, so open your heart and your mind. Allow God to illuminate things to you, and I know God can begin. If you are not in the will of God, you can find that inkling in your spirit to begin to find it and get on course with what God's destined you for in your life. Amen? Father, we love you and we're humbled to be here today. I'm humbled to have this great privilege to minister the word to the people of this fellowship. Father, I'm going to believe preaching is going to be very easy in this house today. I'm going to believe that you're going to, Father, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer today, God. And you're going to awaken the listening ear of every person. I pray that there won't be any distractions among us today from our own thoughts or attitudes or con think, considering things past, things present, or things future. But we'll just be, Father, a right now, right now, right now moment. Our thoughts and our attention will be to the word of God. Father, bless this preaching of the word. I ask it with all sincerity. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If I can, for just a few moments, just backtrack and take you along the process of where we've arrived at this particular place. In the life of Nehemiah, I felt in my heart as I was studying the scriptures that Nehemiah would be a great person for us to look at as an example of a man who was accomplishing something perhaps positive. He was drinking wine in the palace at Shushan. Uh, and, and, and in order to protect the king from the potential of being poisoned, when he hears about the plight of the people of the city of Jerusalem, that was his, the city of his forefathers. He was a Jew that had been dispersed to that area of Persia, originally Babylon, by the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And he has never seen Jerusalem with his own eyes. He's only heard about it in the reading of the law and the prophets. And yet at the same time, he knows that's the city of his forefathers. That's the city of heritage. That's the city that David was writing about in the psalm that I quoted when we opened 
open the scriptures or to open the service in Psalm 122. When he hears about the plight of the people, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, the gates are burned with fire, the people there are in great distress. Something happened to Nehemiah. It wasn't like the casual glass, uh, glance of the news that you and I oftentimes happen. We were sitting there at our home and we see the tragedies that are happening around the world and we read or hear of them and we kind of casually glance at them. When Nehemiah heard of the condition of the people, something changed inside of him. Something that would follow him. A burden was immediately created. He began to pray about it. He was driven to prayer. He was dri driven to mourning and crying out, fasting. For five months he, he cried out unto God, asking what his place would be in any type of response to the plight of the people. He requested of an opportunity of the king that he would go back to the city of Jerusalem and act as a governor on behalf of the Persian Empire to rebuild the walled city of Jerusalem. He was empowered by the king with letters in his hand to go and to start this process. The process had been started and stopped for several times over the years. They had been allowed to return 50 years earlier and after 50 years, the people were in their still present condition. And Nehemiah immediately started the process. The people responded enthusiastically to his leadership. And the first five chapters show how the work begins. Progress is slow at first, and that's the way it is with all of us oftentimes. Progress is slow, but progress is still progress. As long as you're moving forward, thank God for it. Amen. And so in order, as I began to unfold this series of messages to you, the fourth and the fifth and the sixth chapters of Nehemiah dealt with something that we've identified as simply as obstacles, things that Nehemiah would have to face because in order to accomplish such a great and necessary task, you would have to know of a certainty that there would be obstacles. And again, the same way it is for you. You're not going to get back on board, get back in line with the will of God for your life and not face challenges. There are going to be challenges and you have to kind of set your face, and I'm using King James English, set your face like a flint. You're determined. You're not going to change. You're going to continue to pursue the task that's ahead of you. Certain adversaries we read about, Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshem, the Arabian, the scripture says that they attempted to intimidate the people. Last week I shared with you three obstacles that he would have to confront. Things that you and I found familiar in our own lives when we began to pursue the will of God for our life. The first was an intimidation. The people were in intimidated because of the constant threat of invasion by these three people groups. They were, they were conspiring against the people and they were promising that, that they would come and they would attack the work. And in doing so, that would create insecurities amongst the people. And you and I, when we have great challenges in front of us, we have to confront our insecurities. We have to trust that if God's called us, he's going to equip us. Come on, somebody. So we process that. Again, each one of these deserve a sermon in themselves, but time will not afford us to do so. The work itself at times seemed overwhelming. The Bible says that the people got discouraged because progress was so slow at first, because there was much rubbish. That meant they worked for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and they looked up. And I know you've had those moments in your life when you've gone into something and you've worked feverishly at it only to look back later and say, what have I yet accomplished? And that's where they, what they felt. And so therefore, they kind of wanted to give up. Discouragement is something that you're going to have to learn to overcome. You're going to have to. We all face it. I shared with you that pastors face it on a regular basis. And we have to do what David taught us in 1 Samuel 28. We have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We have to find that place of solace and encouragement in Christ. And we have to overcome discouragement. I don't believe you're unspiritual to get discouraged, but you'd be unspiritual to stay discouraged. Come on, when there's hope in God. Lift up your eyes into the hills from whence cometh your help. Come on. My help is in the name of the Lord. Come on. Not, I don't trust in horses and I don't trust in chariots. That's that, that, that tenure of time. I understand that. But he said, I will trust in the Lord and he will provide for us and he will make a way. Lastly, there was a great cry because of the extortionists who took advantage of the people's plight. The people were in debt, greatly hindered in finishing their task. And Nehemiah's intervention led to the debt being forgiven. I believe in a miraculous forgiving of debt. Well, I believe God can do something, and I would love to see in our generation God's people free from the shackle of debt. 
And if you will set your heart after it, you will obtain it because God wants to deliver people from the bondage of debt. It's all throughout the Word of God. We studied it. We went into it in great detail on Wednesday night. And our prayer is for you that God will give you the wisdom and the, and the opportunity to set up in motion a process that will deliver you from the financial bondage. Now, when that occurred in the fifth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, a great new energy was released from the financial, the, that release of that financial bondage gave them a new surge of energy and labor to begin to uh, work on the project. And so great progress was made. All the breaches, here's where we're at in the process, all the breaches in the wall. So you can picture the wall fragmented in several places. The wall that surrounded the city had great breaches. But by now, through the work of the people and this new surge of energy, because the yoke of debt's been broken off of them, they get back to work. And after a short period of time, all the breaches are repaired, but the gates are not set up as of yet. And so that's where we're going to begin to read. Now when that happens, listen to this. When that happens, the adversary began to increase his strategic attack. And you've got to begin to look at this for just a moment. The reason why I believe that this is captured in the Word of God is that God is taking a prophetical picture for you and I. It was a prophetical image of one select group of people in a select season of time, one city and one little dot across the globe and God took a picture of it so that wherever his people are when they're going through crises and challenges that we can see how the enemy adjusts his attack and we can learn how he adjusts his attack so that we can uh, that we can learn how to respond so we can overcome are y'all hearing what I'm saying come on it's a prophetical picture and we've got to look at it today because if we see it in the eyes of faith then the principles that were exhibited here will work on your behalf as well and you can overcome as Christ overcame. Amen? Now, let me take a moment of time and talk for just a moment about the conspiracy of the enemy. Who was this enemy? The Bible tells us and has told us that there were three people groups. Sanballat, who was uh, possibly a Samaritan. I know, I think he's called in Scripture the Horonite. But many believe that he was a Samaritan because ancient records show that his sons were actually the governor of Samaria at later time. And Samaria was a people group that we would call of mixed breeds. And they had their own form of worship. They adopted certain of the principles of the law, but they didn't fully engage Judaism. And so there was a, always a rift between the true Israelites and the Samaritan people. Sanballat, again, is being used to try to stop or to hinder the work of God in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. He did not want to see that form of worship of God reestablished in that place, and so he determined to fight against it. Jeshem was the Arabian, and Tobiah was an Ammonite. Now, the Ammonite people were the people that would not allow the children of Israel to go through their land during the days of the Exodus. And so therefore God said, you will never ever bring an Ammonite into my courts. You'll never bring an Ammonite into my, into my people group. And so there is a, again, tensions between these people groups. And here's the reality of this. Three men are functioning as tools in the hands of the true adversary. They were the adversaries in the natural world. But how many of you know that our true adversary is not with flesh and blood? Come on, with spiritual entities in heavenly places, the Bible says. So these three men, again, are serving, are functioning as tools in the hands of the adversary, the devil, in an attempt to stop God's people from reestablishing the city and the temple and the worship of Jehovah. Now, you and I have to understand something today, that those three men are long gone. Those three men have departed into eternity. But the spirits that influence their ideology, and their actions and their conspiracies against the people of God are still alive today. They're still functioning. They still come to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now, I never want to glorify demonic spirits, but I believe that I have to talk about the warfare in the heavenly realm for just a moment of time. In my own personal walk, I don't attempt to, to keep all of my emphasis on the devil as I see a lot of God's people do. Everything is satanic. Everything is demonic. And all their emphasis is on what they call the dark side or the underworld. I want to keep my eyes affixed on his heavenly gaze. I, I want to look upward. I don't want to look down. But at the same time, I recognize that I live in a fallen world where, uh, where there are spirits that are hidden in places trying to bring destruction to the people of God and hinder the work of God in the earth. I cannot read the word of God without being made acutely aware of that there are devices of the devil. 
let me share with you some of the words, the words that are in the New Testament concerning these spiritual entities that are hindering. Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities of getting powers, against the darkness of the wickedness of this world. He said the wiles of the devil. He used that term wiles. 2 Corinthians 2 says we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Here in this passage of Nehemiah was the word conspire. So we recognize that the enemy plots or he schemes against the people of God. And when you begin to overcome, he doesn't immediately flee. What he does is he re-strategizes creates a new plan to try to bring you into fault and trip you up in your faith. We see in the scriptures again that there was the snare of the devil, Paul told Timothy. We see the apostle Peter writing, your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. We're to resist him steadfast in the faith. We see in the life of Jesus, even when Jesus prayed for Simon Peter, he said these words. He said, Simon Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Even in Jesus' own life, Satan would set strategic plots or schemes against him. You remember when he was baptized in the river Jordan and the waters, uh, the, the, in, the, in, the, in the waters of Jordan, but the heavens parted and the presence of God in the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit lit upon Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says he was immediately driven into the wilderness where he was tempted and tried of Satan. We see that, it, that Satan on various occasions tried to trip Jesus up by even using good people and what we could even label godly people, the devil will look for any opening when he discerns there is a man or woman of God about to fulfill the will of God for their life, he will use anybody that he can to say something or do something to set a stumbling block in your way that might hinder you from accomplishing the will of God. Jesus had just told his disciples a powerful word when he had, he had spoke to Simon Peter and he had said, Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed the declaration of faith that you have said. He said, and he said, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You remember that? The Bible says that he shared that at Caesarea Philippi and, and it's a powerful word to us. But if you'll read the next few verses of scripture under that passage, the same Simon Peter that said thou art the Christ and was commended by Jesus for recognizing that he was the one prophesied by the prophets through the power of the Holy Spirit. That same Simon Peter when Jesus then began to teach them that he would go to Jerusalem he would be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and he would ultimately die on the cross of Calvary Simon stood up and said far be it from you Lord Simon got in the way himself and became a stumbling block to the will of God for Jesus' life. And you know what Jesus said? He didn't say, Simon Peter. He said, Satan, get thee behind me. For thou savorest, he discerned the moment right there that the devil will use anybody even good people, even people close to your life, if necessary, to set a stumbling block in front of you to hinder the work of God in your life. Come on, that's good, church family. So that's why Paul said we, have, we cannot be ignorant of his devices. We have to learn by the picture images, the prophetical images of the word of God. And if we do so, then we can overcome. Second, First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said this. He said, we would have come to you earlier. He was writing to a people that he loved and he said, we would have come to you earlier, but Satan hindered us. Satan desires to hinder you today. But I'm telling you, you can be victorious today in Jesus' name. No weapon that is formed. I'd like to sing it, but I'm not a very good singer. But in my heart, I sing like Shane. Come on, somebody. In my heart, I do. No weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. All those that rise up against us shall fall. Well, no matter who is against us, if God be for us, Come on, if God before you today, God has commended his love for you that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. Come on, you are the apple of his eye today. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He loves you. Come on, if he carries a wallet, he unfolds it, and your picture's there as well. If he Google searches who he loves, your picture comes up. I want you to know you are loved of God today, and God has destined great things for your life. Don't believe that like the, the, the lies of the enemy that you're here by happenstance or happen chance. It's not, no, no, no. God destined you for great things. He's left you in the earth so that you would be a witness for him. And so if you live your life with that type of revelation, you'll have great joy. Nehemiah chapter 6, let's look at these real quickly today, these obstacles. Let's look at these obstacles. Nehemiah 6, 
the first verse. It says, It came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. That Sanballat and Jeshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, when I was sharing this with our staff in our staff meeting, Shane told me, he said, I heard a sermon years ago preached at the Rosebud Assembly. said that you've got to learn to say, oh, no, to oh, no. That's a good word. But they thought to do me mischief. We're going to talk about it. And so I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it with you and come down to you? Fourth verse. And yet they sent unto me four times, and after this sort, I answered them after the same manner. For just a moment of time, when the enemy sees that the progress is being made in your life, and you're beginning to accomplish the will of God, and you're functioning by vision, you're not just living by, by, by uh, you know, your carnal appetites any longer, but you're leaving, living strategically, following the will of God. The enemy then begins to conspire against you. If he realizes he cannot gain access by direct onslaught or by invasion, and that's what was taking place there. The enemy realized that the threat with every stone that was being laid in the wall and the breaches had been uh, made up, then the threat of invasion was diminishing. So he had to conspire another plan. And here's what I believe is one of the obstacles that we see, if we'll look at it through these words for just a moment of time, that he would attempt to lure Nehemiah away from his place of purpose. He would attempt, listen to this, to cause Nehemiah to compromise his original conviction. See, the enemy will use whatever means necessary, perhaps a false premise of negotiation. Nehemiah knew that the enemy had an ulterior motive. By him coming down, his leadership would be lost. Without the leader present, the people's work would diminish some, and therefore the wall would stop being rebuilt. He also knew that if he moved away from the walled city of Jerusalem, then he would be isolated and potentially suffer attack himself. He recognized, he saw through this, and I love his words. He said, I will not come down to you, Think about this. When you are in the will of God for your life and you know it's the will of God, it doesn't matter how other people measure its merit, its value, or its worth. If you are faithful in doing what God has called you to do, then don't come down from your position Come on, I don't care how much money people are paying. I don't care how much it gratifies your flesh. I don't care how much. Let me tell you, if you and I could only see the value of who we are in Christ and what we've been called to do, God has left you as his ambassador. Listen, ambassadors for the United States, oftentimes when they go into other countries, they, they have, they have uh, select service, you know, uh, men that protect them, and they're also riding in limousines with flags, and they've got, they handle themselves with honor and esteem. If we as the children of God would just realize that Christ has left us as an ambassador for him to do the will of God and to do the work of God, to occupy until he comes, uh, then we would say, I don't care how much the enemy's paying. I, I'm not going to fall prey to leaving what God's called me to do. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, back in the late 1800s, said this. He said, if God has called you to preach, don't you dare stoop to be a president. If we could ever just live our lives and say, you know what? I know who I am in Christ Jesus, and it doesn't matter. The glories of this world will fade and diminish, but I am set here by God to do a great work and ain't nobody going to pull me down from this place. Come on, somebody. you got to realize of a conviction that is inside of you. I remember years ago, if I had one moment where I came close to stumbling, I launched out to preach like I was going to be the great evangelist, the next great evangelist at 19 years of age, didn't have any pastoral covering, didn't have any structure whatsoever. I preached for about seven, eight, ten weeks, and once I had emptied my preacher's uh, file, then there wasn't much left at that particular time. I wasn't trained for the moment, and I fell prey. And at that particular time, I had a dream when I was a young man in high school playing collegiate basketball. Now, you know, 
I know that takes some of you in surprise. But, and I know I could have easily handled Larry Bishop if I had chosen to play him in a game of one-on-one, but I won't go there today. And, but at the time, I was 19 years of age, and I preached for a while, but all of a sudden, that thing began to resurface in me. And as it began to resurface in me, it began to compete with the call of God for my life. And I found myself drawing back from reading the Word, found myself drawing back from seeking God in prayer, found myself being lured. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? In the form of entertainment, in the form of my own goals and my own desires and my own dreams, not what God has designed for me. It put, stru- it put, it put pressure on mine and Sherry's young marriage. We only had one season in our life for just a few short months where we had, had contention in our marriage and it was during that season it's because my attention was being diverted to do something that God had not called me to do. I had a higher calling than to dribble a basketball. I thank God for that. I've enjoyed sports all my life and will still enjoy sports but I had a call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the enemy was putting something in front of me that he knew that I would stumble over but thanks be unto God right at the nick of time God lifted my eyes up and I was able to get back on course. Let me tell you today, don't let the lust of your flesh or the lust of the eye or the promise of entertainment or the promises of riches or the gratification of your flesh pull you away from what God's called you to do and who you are called to be in Christ Jesus. If you need to repent and get back on track, then get up, shake the dust off of yourself and say, God, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. I may have yet fallen, but I shall yet arise. I have been, uh, come on somebody, I've been called to do this and I'll get back on course. And Nehemiah, I love that. Nehemiah said, Nehemiah said, no way. No way am I coming down from what God's called me to do to go talk to you, Sambalad. I put my notes, but y'all might get mad at me. Nehemiah knew what many in our leadership in America fail to understand. You don't negotiate with terrorists under the control of demon spirits. But that's another sermon altogether for a later date and time. When Sanballat realized that Nehemiah would not compromise and come down to him, he then noticed what he did, verses 5 through 9. Let's read that together. Then Sanballat, so remember, see the conspiracy, see the scheme and the device. The enemy keeps searching for a way. He keeps searching for a way. Remember what it said in John chapter 12, the prince of this world cometh and he findeth nothing in me. What Jesus was saying, the prince of this world is coming to find an opportunity to cause me to stumble. And he finds nothing in me. And I pray that you and I will be able to say that. He's trying to get a stronghold in our life and we will give no place, Ephesians 4 and 27, to the devil. Come on. So Nehemiah or Sanballat began to readjust his strategy. Now notice this one. Look at this one. This is real today. And you've got to put this. I can only share it to you with you through my personal experiences, but you have to align it to your own personal experience. Sanballat, his servant, unto me in like manner the fifth time. Now the letter changes. It's an open letter. Notice what it said, sixth verse. Wherein was written, it was reported among the heathen, and Geshem saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be king, according to these words. And not only do you desire to be king, you got prophets that are preaching of you at Jerusalem. So see what he's done? See how he's changed. Number one, he realized that the threat of invasion had diminished because the wall was being rebuilt. And then when he realized that and he said, well, I'll just try to pull him away from his original position. I'll try to put something in front of him that will cause him to come down from that place where he is working in, in, this, in this, this role as the governor. And I'll lure him away from that. And when that didn't work, now he re-strategizes and he says, he, he creates an accusation. So he said, you've got prophets to preach of you at Jerusalem saying there's a king in Judah and now it shall be reported to the king. So what he's saying, he's threatening. What he's saying is, look, Sambalaz said, we're going, we got a letter here. We know your motive. We know what you really want to do. You're doing this for your own self, Nehemiah. You're doing it so that when the wall is complete, you're going to, you're going to declare Israel independent again, and you're going to break away from the Persian government. And what we're going to do, we're going to write this letter to the king and we're going to really tell the king of your motive. So what we need you to do is come down and let's counsel together and we'll try to negotiate and work this thing out. Eighth verse, look what Nehemiah said. So he said, I sent unto him and said, There are no such thing done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of my 
out of your own heart. And the ninth verse real quickly. For they all made us afraid because their hands would be weakened from the work that it be done. So therefore Nehemiah prayed and said, Oh God, strengthen my hands. Listen, number two, there's only three today and then we're going to close. But listen very carefully. You need to hear this. Sanballat realized Nehemiah again would not compromise. And so therefore he accuses him. There will come a day when the enemy will use someone to falsely accuse you Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? To falsely accuse you and to create lies about you and your motive. And the intent is this right here, to cause the people that you're influencing, that God has placed in your life to no longer trust in you or believe in you, and out of fear they will also help or stop helping the cause. It's a plot of the adversary. He's called the accuser of the... Are y'all hearing me today? False accusation. People will say things about you who don't even know you. They will testify to others about things that you supposedly said or did or what's the motive in your heart, and they don't even know you. Let me tell you, Nehemiah, I appreciate it so much. He trusted in the integrity of his own heart. I shared with the guys today, this past week. This sermon brought my, my, went, caused me to go back in time, and I'm going to go back in time for just a little while. Again, all I can share is a little bit of my own personal experiences. You have to somehow connect this to your experiences. I remember when I first became the pastor at Heber Springs First Assembly of God. And, and I, it, it was a dream. I was, I was the Nehemiah in one sense. I, I had prayed and sought the Lord and a series of things had been arranged by God and, and that allowed me to, to be the pastor that I am today. And I'm so thankful. You know, there's no other place that I'd rather be than right here with this people group that God's given me today. And that's in all sincerity. I'm not saying that out of uh, a false pretense. I'm saying that in sincerity today. And with that, I remember... You have to remember, if God has destined your life, come on, remember, the, he moves and he connects. He moves you and he connects you. He has something in store that's bigger. I still believe that God's got a great destiny for this church. I, I, I believe we're living in it, but I believe there's more. Come on, I don't believe this is the end. I believe this is the process. Come on. But it's not the end. There's more. God has more. God is agitating things in the spirit. There will come a day when we will be on the bypass of 14.41 acres. One day, that day will come. It's our desire that God has called our church to be a Pentecostal charismatic fellowship in north central Arkansas. I know a lot of other churches are going away from being labeled Pentecostal charismatic, but I'm unashamed of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And I remember there were two things that happened. And the first of which was oddly enough that when I arrived here and there was some movements and I'm going to be very careful and, and uh, people are, some people are no longer here that were here at that particular time but there was this one particular thing that there was somebody in a position that when I got here I inherited that, that particular position and, and after just a few short weeks I realized that was not the right person for that particular job. So it, it was on a conditional premise that they were in that position in the first place and the board had said when you come in you can make your decision so I made my decision and I brought them in and I talked to them and said thank you for your service here but I'm going to go a little bit another direction. Now it, that was fine, everything was good, they stayed for two or three weeks but as they went out and as they left, word came back through one of the youth that one of this individual had told her that I was a, the pastor in Shirley that had been tried and was under trial for sexual misconduct. That's a big accusation right there. You don't play with things like that, not in today's. And the reality was there was a preacher in Shirley. In 1997, I arrived there in 1996, but in 1997, the state of Arkansas brought brought charges against a man by the name of Ellis Charles Butler, pastoring a Church of God church in in, uh, Shirley uh, for three counts of sexual molestation of girls younger than 16 years of age. And in 2002, he was found uh, guilty and he's tried and he's serving 60 years in the penitentiary. But here's the thing, here's the reality. That was that preacher. That wasn't this skinny preacher. But the devil, come on, wanted to plant the thought in somebody's mind so that the people would no longer believe, are you hearing what I'm saying, in the leadership that I was presenting. 
And in those moments, all you can do is like Nehemiah. All you can do is trust in your own integrity that you've done the right thing. Come on. I thank God there's only one woman I've been hanging out with for a long time. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? All you can do is trust your own integrity and say, God, strengthen my hands. I don't care what the devil says. He is a liar. Let God be true. Come on, somebody. And so when the devil says lies against you, all you can do is trust in the fact that you're walking in your integrity and you're trusting in the call of God upon your life. Because he will, and I'm telling you, he will falsely accuse you. Lastly today, we'll look at this and then we're going to close. When the enemy realized, and I could go on there, but I better let some of those things go. When the enemy realized he could not get to Nehemiah through compromise, nor he could not get Nehemiah to quit because of accusations, he readjusted his attack with what I believe was his greatest attack. Let's read this at the 10th through the 14th verse. Afterward, are y'all having fun today? I am having fun because, see, I don't know if this is good for you, but I'm telling you what, when God gives me a prophetical image that was taken long years ago and God shined his spirit, I transposed that to my generation. I transposed that to my season of life. And then I see, all of a sudden, I couldn't see the enemy and now I can see the enemy. And now I can discern. This is not, I'm not wrestling with somebody. I wasn't angry at anybody. I didn't say anything in response. I never brought that person in and talked to them. I just lifted my voice up in the spirit and bound the devil in the name of Jesus. And that person is long gone and I'm still here, glory to God. You've got to see things in the spirit and say, God, by your word now, I'm going to wage my warfare. I see it now. I can transpose it to my life and I can see the enemy's attack upon me. And, so, and, and I hope that you can as well. The enemy, notice this, let's read this. Afterward, it came to pass in the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut up, who was shut up. I know sometimes you're thinking, I wish that would be our preacher, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together. So notice this. Let's, let's carefully examine this. Don't miss this one. I believe this is the greatest attack. This is the most subtle. This is the one you better guard your heart. Listen, the enemy, now notice this. Now, now this, this is a man living in the city. And he comes to, to, he was shut up probably for some type of uncleanness. What means he's isolated in essence. It's, it's speaking of the law. He's at his house. So Nehemiah goes to his house. And he said, I tell you what, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us shut the doors of the temple. For they will, we're about to replace that bulb by the way. For they will, the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. In the night they will come to thee. And Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee. I love that. And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Twelfth verse. I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me. For Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Thirteenth verse. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin and that when I sinned, they would have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, think about Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their, good, their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that it would have put me in fear. Let's talk about this in closing today very carefully. This is very important for your life for just a moment of time. I remember when I read Jesus' temptation by Satan in the wilderness, it had a progression to it. There was a progression to it, and ultimately he brought his strongest one at the end, and he suffered the rebuke of Jesus. I want you to see for just a moment of time this trial, because this, was a real, this is a real one, because this one catches you when you're not uh, on guard. Your, your spiritual senses sometimes get let down for just a moment. Here's what this one is. Listen, the enemy hired someone within the city to form an alliance with Nehemiah, and ultimately cause him to sin. Now, it's one thing when people are outside the church accusing you. It's one thing when people are outside the church trying to pull you down. Oh, my God, I feel like I should come down. I don't know if y'all are getting this. Come on now, think with me. So we come to the church, and we let our spiritual defenses down because we think in the church, this is the safest place to be. 
Well, in one sense it is. It's a sanctuary. But let me tell you, your enemy knows no bounds. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He knows no bounds. And so when he couldn't get Nehemiah to leave from his place of prominence and come out to him, he conspired to bring somebody within, come on, who would distract him and cause him to sin. Now, in those days, listen, here's what he was trying to do. Here's the scheme real quickly. We're going to look at it. We'll make a comparison in closing today for just a moment. In Nehemiah's day, only the priest and the Levite could go into the holy place. Only the priest could go into the holy place, and the most high, or the most holy, only the high priest. He was saying, "Let us take refuge in the temple, because that's the safest place in the in the whole, in the in the place. Let's go there." And Nehemiah said, "I can't go there. I, I'm not a priest. If I go there, I will have sinned against God." So now you take that and you transpose that into your life for just a moment. David said this. He said, it was my own familiar friend who lifted up his heel against me. It was a brother I took sweet, count, uh, sweet fellowship with. That's who it was. There are people in the church. Let me tell you this today. Let me open your naive eyes for just a moment. There are people in the church that if you're willing, they will sin with you. Amen. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? If you used to get drunk outside the church... Don't think there ain't people inside the four walls of the church that will gravitate to the weakness of your flesh. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm preaching better than y'all shouting today. Come on. If you used to commit sexual fornication out in the world, don't think that when you come in here, come on, everybody, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The truth is the enemy will even hire folk in the church to sell themselves out to disrupt the will of God for your life. The reality is, I guard my heart in relationships in the church just as much as I do outside the church. Because the Bible says, I'm to know no man after the flesh. The Bible says that Jesus would not join himself to anybody because he knew what was in them. I think we do give our faith and our trust to Christ. And I'm not saying we walk around in such a hard-hearted place or we don't allow people into the secret places of our life. But let me tell you, in the name of Jesus, you better learn to guard your heart. You better learn to guard your mind because the folk that's sitting beside you on either side, you better be careful because the enemy will use anybody to pull you away from the thing that God has called you to do. The enemy was attempting to cause him to sin within the city, within the temple, and would even use false prophecy that they might accuse him and reproach him. So everybody that's saying, thus saith the Lord, everybody that's saying, we should do this, everybody that's saying, we should go there, may not be walking in the Spirit. And you better learn to discern. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You better learn to discern so that you can know whether or not the enemy is plotted against you and hindering the will of God for your life. Daryl, join me on the platform. We're closing. Three obstacles that joined with three other obstacles that Nehemiah faced. God captured it in an image in his word so that we seated here today in this last Sunday in January 2015 would have a prophetical picture that we could look at and we could see our lives and we could say, God, I'm right there. I am somewhere. I'm in the process of rebuilding. I'm in the process of being reestablished. I'm in the process. And the enemy is hindering this work in my life. And God can illuminate your eyes, give you insight, and cause you to see how that you can wage your warfare. I believe in waging warfare against the devil, don't you? I do. I don't believe in sitting back quietly. Listen, I don't believe. I mean, sometimes you get to have preemptive strikes. Are y'all hearing me today? There are times that you got to just say, no, excuse me, and we got to lift our voices up. We speak the word of God. We speak the word of faith. We walk in the spirit. We discern the snare and the, the, the devices of the devil so we can overcome as Jesus overcame. Let me tell you, as this happened in the scriptures, the story concludes, this portion of the story concludes, listen to this. Let's read these last two verses together. It's 15th and the 16th verse. So, so the wall... 
was finished in the 20th and the 5th day of the month of Elul. In the fifth, in 50 and 2 days, in 52 short days, less than 2 months, the people came together under the leadership of Nehemiah. They repaired the gates, they repaired the walls. And the 16th verse says, And when it came to pass that when all the enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, look what they did. When they saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. That's what I want to do to the devil in the name of Jesus. I want him, I just believe that when he fled from Jesus, the reason why he entered into Judas of Iscariot was because he couldn't enter into Jesus. And for you and I, I want us to walk in faith and give no place to the devil. And when we face the temptations of life that are trying to trip us up and keep us from becoming the people that God has called us to be, we wage our warfare and God empowers us to keep doing what he's called us to do. And when it's all said and done, the work will be so great that the enemy will have to say that that was the work of God. Hallelujah. That's what I'm believing for your life for 2015. I believe that can happen to you and I today. If you and I will stay the course, won't, won't it if we stay the course? Discern the enemy's plans. Pray against them in Jesus' name. When you feel weak, ask God to strengthen your hands. Trust the Lord. God, you can do a work in me that will bring you such glory Even the heathen have to say, that's the work of God. Hallelujah. Won't y'all stand up today? Let's pray. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed for just a few minutes today. We're stand up for prayer, but we're going to be seated in a moment because we're going to have our water baptism. We've readjusted our service because of these great things that we get to share in. But it would be wrong today with our heads bowed and eyes closed not to give an invitation that's twofold, that we would pray with you right where you are today. In the name of Jesus, right where you are. First of all, give an invitation to accept Christ right where you are today. I would. You say, Pastor, do I have to come down? It's good to come down, but you don't have to. I got to hear last night a sermon preached by the grandson of Robert Schuler from the great Crystal Cathedral out in California. And he said, this, his, the grandson is the pastor of a church out there. And he said, when the invitation was come, I didn't come to the forward or come to the front. I didn't come forward. I, I didn't raise my hand. I just in my heart. Right there said, God, I'm going to follow you through Christ. And now he's pastoring a church today. It's not about movement in the flesh. It's about by faith receiving Christ. So here, if you're here today and you'd be honest with me and say, Pastor, today I realize that I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. And I want to come to him in faith. Would you pray with me where I am today? If that's you, slip your hand up. I want to see you today. And I'll pray with you right where you're at. If there's any person from my left, I scan the room today. No one's raised their hand. Number two today, we're going to pray. We're going to pray a closing prayer with you today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Brown, today, just to be honest, I've been off course. I haven't been walking in the fullness of God's will for my life, and I'd like to get back on course. Would you pray with me today? I'm already, I'm saved, but I'm not fulfilling the will of God for my life. I see a hand today. Anybody else have the courage? Thank you. People are being honest today, raising their hand today. Thirdly today, let me just see you real quickly, and we're going to just pray for you. If you're here, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm in the will of God. I know it, but my hands are fatigued. I'm tired. I'm physically, emotionally fatigued. I need God to strengthen me today. Raise your hand up today. I want to pray with you. Oh, my gosh, hands are going up all over the room. I see that. God sees that. Let's pray. Come on, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Normally, I would bring you down, but you know today was a very special thing that we're going to share in, but I just pray. Let's turn God's house in a house of prayer. All throughout these passages we see Nehemiah said, but we made our prayer to God. Don't be ashamed to cry out to God. Don't be ashamed to say, God, I need your help. Don't be ashamed to say, God, I'm discouraged. I need you to lift my countenance. God, I need you today. I'm telling you, he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. He said, if you will call unto me, I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things that you know not. I pray, Father, today for my fellowship, my my church family. First, the few hands that went up representing people who said, I want to realign my life. I need to get back on course. I'm off track. I've stumbled somewhere along along the way, and I need to realign myself. Right now, God, I pray.